Hi. Hi, thanks for meeting with me. After speaking with Paul Lauder about the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, I decided it might be worth a try to reach out to Cheryl Greenberg, a current professor at Trinity College, to try to understand and discuss her involvement with the SNCC movement and any other movement that had happened on Trinity's campus. Okay. But anyway, um, I know lots about student activism in general, so let's see what we can put together. I can't remember the exact, like, specific name of the organization or conference that you did. Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Right. That he's talking about, which is a civil rights group. I discovered that SNCC was founded in 1960, and it was founded because of several student-led sit-ins at segregated lunch counters across the South. These sit-ins were primarily student-based. In fact, in 1960, what started the SNCC movement was four black college students in Greensboro, North Carolina, who stayed in their seats at a segregated Woolworths lunch counter after the staff refused to serve them. What began as a four-student-based protest soon grew to over 300 students joining their protest. Then there were thousands of students who orchestrated sit-ins throughout the country, especially in the South. And we had the 25th anniversary um, of the group here at Trinity. Okay. Um, In part because a Trinity, a then Trinity student, went and joined SNCC. To celebrate the 25th anniversary of SNCC's founding, more than 500 people gathered at Trinity College to celebrate and critique the organization's accomplishments. What historical events of radicalism at Trinity do you recall? I know that there were anti-Vietnam protests. I know that there were civil rights march protests, not not about Trinity and civil rights, except actually to let in more black students. Um, right. There were co-education um, pressures, marches, okay. or you know, um, and general free speech stuff. I think although I know less about that. There's lots of pictures and stuff in um, the tripod, which I'm sure you've seen or mm-hmm. can see. Yeah. Uh, what forms of protest happened, like for the anti-Vietnam or the civil rights? My sense is that the protests kind of took two forms. And one was literally marches, you know, marches, okay. carrying signs, taking over offices, whatever, the same stuff that students did um, yeah. all over the place with, with varying demands. We need more black students. We need more, we need to go co-ed, whatever it was. And the other was bringing speakers to campus to talk about stuff. So I know that they had um, lots of engagement with civil rights activists, which is why some of them left school and went down, right. which is what led us to the snake thing. Um, and I'm pretty sure that that was linked with, uh, general push. I don't know that it took any physical form, but I mean, pressure to, um, change some things like what they were teaching, you know, it was a very traditional curriculum and they wanted to, um, they wanted to modernize it a little bit. Uh, You know, again, if you've seen the pictures, everybody's in suits and ties. I mean, it's a very sort of formal structure. And I think there was a lot of pressure to undo that. Um, So there were obviously lots of stories in the, in the tripod. There were people who came to speak and there were marches. There's, there's, again, I wasn't there, but there were pictures of people 
doing all kinds of stuff, marching down the long walk, hanging around cars. I mean, I don't even know where these things took place, except that um, it was impressively activist, given right. Trinity. Um, there's a chair. A chair means like an endowed position mm-hmm. uh, in entrepreneurial studies, okay, which is sort of like how to be a good corporate person, you know? Right. And um, it was endowed by a group or a person who thought that this was an important way to go. And in response, a group of seriously lefty faculty got together and organized. And as soon as I, they had just organized when I got here. Um, and so they invite, and they invited me in. And we called ourselves a revolutionary cell. And we tried to do as much as we could to balance the scales. So, for example, there's all these courses in entrepreneurship, and we started a minor called Studies in Progressive American Social Movements, which had, for example, one of its requirements as an internship uh, volunteering for a union, you know, working with a, a union, something like that. You know, we tried to do other sorts of political options. And so everything else came from that. You know, why aren't there more poor students here? Why aren't there more students of color here? Why aren't there more Jewish students here? Why aren't, isn't there any diversity? Blah, blah, blah all came from that. I mean, I give them credit for all of those issues. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the rape had just happened a few years earlier. And so the faculty had already been primed about the fraternity issue, mostly around gender. I just have to be clear, um, more than, more than race. So the, the two pressures, the sexism part and the racism part kind of came together just as I was here. At least that's how I see it, right. which is what brought all those different approaches um in in fact i think the study the minor is still on the books if it isn't it just got left left off because it's now outlived its purpose i guess when i was searching on the trinity tripod depository i came across an article from 1972 that illustrated some anti-vietnam war sentiments and protests from trinity students the article was called trinity students strike in the article it was said quote At an all-college meeting last night, 450 students voted to hold a non-coercive strike today to protest the escalation of the war in Vietnam, unquote. In addition, the Mobilization Day Against the War was passed, and this action would bring an end to all U.S. involvement in the war. I found another article from the Trinity Tripod Depository dated back to 1988, and this specific article was called CIA Recruiting Draws Protest and Sympathy. It appears in this article that a group of students are outside of Goodwin Dorm, and they appear to be protesting the CIA's presence on campus. According to the article, quote, Following in the wake of CIA protests on college campuses across the nation, the Trinity Progressive Student Alliance led a CIA on-campus recruitment protest last Friday outside Goodwin. The protest and demonstration were the culmination of a two-week effort on the part of PSA to educate the Trinity community about the practices of the CIA, end quote. While some students believed the demonstration to be about the fact that students were merely anti-CIA, others felt that the demonstration was an attempt to deny students the right to interview with the CIA. Right now, I'm looking at an article called South African Lecture Stirs Protest, and this tripod article 
is dated back to 1976. In the article, it states that there was a lecturer on campus. He was named J.B. Shearer, and he was the South African minister. The lecture was entitled Change Through Accommodation and was sponsored by the World Affairs Center of Hartford. In the article, it says, quote, The protesters arrived early and assembled in front of Austin Art Center at 7 p.m., some 45 minutes before the scheduled beginning of the lecture, unquote. Students from Trinity, students from Wesleyan, the University of Connecticut, and private citizens were involved in protesting. While 50 demonstrators stayed in the lobby to protest, the other 25 protesters walked in during the lecture. At 7.25, the protesters then headed for McCook, and the entire time they were chanting, quote, Free South Africa now, and they were also waving posters, which read, U.S. out of South Africa, victory to the South African people, and no more lies, end apartheid now, unquote. One man even shouted, quote, this man represents a government that is killing and oppressing thousands of people, unquote. All of these protests that, each of these protests, which I have just touched on, represent what each of these protests I have just touched on represent examples of the protests that Cheryl Greenberg was talking about earlier. The protests that I remember from that time were mostly around race. Okay. Um, about wanting more um, African-American studies courses, around um, how pitifully small the number of black students was here. Um, so things like that, um, general racism of, on campus, of campus police, of students, you know, everybody. Unfortunately, a lot of the same stuff you're hearing now, but that's beside the point. Um, so the, the two pieces of that that I remember most is that the faculty actually organized a support committee about admissions. Um, and a group of black and Jewish might have just been black and Jewish faculty met with the admissions officers and said, you guys ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Like, really? There's like 2% of black students and there's 12 Jews. Like, are you kidding me? If this doesn't smack of racism and anti-Semitism, I don't know what does. They said, oh, what would you suggest? So, well, right. for example, why don't you go recruiting in, in schools where those students are? Cheryl Greenberg spoke about being on the faculty committee. So I did some research, and in the Trinity Tripod, there's an article from 1990 called Faculty Committee Explores Institutional Discrimination. The purpose of the committee meeting was to discuss the problems of discrimination both within the faculty and within the student body at Trinity College. This was a documented account of the first meeting on institutional discrimination here at Trinity, and it was said in the article that there were plans at the time to create work groups which would try to find solutions to deal with difficult issues of discrimination at Trinity. In the same exact issue, there is an article called Minority Enrollment Continues to Decline. This article basically talks about the reasons as to why fewer and fewer minority students are deciding to go to college. In the article, it was quoted that, quote, fewer black students enrolled in U.S. colleges in 1988 than in 1987, the American Council on Education said, unquote. 
Quote, only 28% of the nation's college-aged black people attended college in 1988, down from 30% in 1987. By contrast, more than a third of college-aged blacks in 1976 took college classes, unquote. It was also said in the article that the current financial aid programs are not working enough to encourage low- and moderate-income students to go to college. As such, it's no surprise when professors such as Cheryl Greenberg herself are unhappy with the lack of diversity at Trinity during these times. One student came in and he had to come in through the window to meet me because they were on this student protest and they weren't going to talk to faculty. I mean, it was like they were not going to engage in anything, but he wanted to talk to me um, because I had been in student protests before and he wanted to talk about like how you do it. And so I literally remember him climbing through the window so that he wouldn't be seen, you know, talk. and I said, I'm happy to tell you my experience, but you realize that now I'm part of the enemy, right? right. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the faculty side now and in students versus faculty, remember who you're talking to. Right. But of course, we um, talked about strategies and approaches and what we had done when I was a student, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So they had, um, they had pickets and protests um, they had this sit-in, they had a list of demands, uh, all the stuff that you see now. Um, this is before Emoja House, this is before uh, any of that stuff had happened, and this is before Posse, this is before any of those efforts um, had been made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to my mind, they were hugely successful, but campus safety remains a problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm currently looking at a book called Trinity College in the 20th Century History by Peter J. Knapp and Anne H. Knapp. In the sixth chapter called Currents of Change, there's a section called The Sit-Ins and Its Aftermath. On April 22nd, in 1967, at 4.30 p.m., there was a scheduled meeting for the Board of Trustees, and the major item on the agenda of this trustee meeting was the consideration of the Senate's resolution on the scholarship fund for black students. In this proposal, there would be $150,000 worth of scholarship assistance. What then proceeded to happen was that 160 students took possession of the building where the meeting was in order to prevent the trustees from leaving until they had agreed to the proposals. No decision could be made until these conditions were met. More than anything, this was a concerted effort for black students to have more of a place at Trinity and to have the financial means to come to Trinity. So that's what I remember. There was lots more going on, obviously, but since I wasn't a student, I wasn't necessarily privy to that part. Right. Talking about the issues you just raised after you protested or had those discussions with the admissions, like, do you think those issues were resolved at the time? And do you think those issues perhaps still endure today? Yes and yes. Uh, as I said, I think things are much better in some ways. Mm-hmm. There is really an honest commitment, I think, to study issues of race uh, internationally as well as nationally. There, you know, there's a huge. When I first came here, nobody was looking at race. I mean, I was I was hired to do African American history and 20th century American history. I mean, that was that was as much billing as as race got. Um, and American studies. They all, 
everybody kind of did race, but it really wasn't a central focus for anybody except one um, liter professor of literature. So if you think about the faculty then and the faculty now, the courses then and the courses now, the number of students then and the number of students now, it's hugely different. If you want to look at the social life now mm -hmm. and then, if you want to look at student racism, if you want to look at campus safety, which may or may not be better, I haven't heard much about it lately, I'm not sure that so much has changed. Right. Uh, and in part, well, I mean, I have lots of theories about why that is, but at least I can say that I think that the effort to recruit black students turned into things like, let's get a bunch of people through Posse, which is great. I was a Posse mentor. I think Posse is great. But we end up with two populations on campus, one right. rich white people and the other poor people largely of color. Right. And that's just, a, that's a bad mix. And I understand why, and we can talk about that, blah, blah, blah. But um, that causes its own its own issues. But now we do have a motor house. And we do have not only um, one group, uh, folk, student group on race, we have at least three. Right. So that's great. Um, yeah. And as I said, the curriculum is better. I think what's left really are problems that may be beyond Trinity's capacity to solve by themselves, that is social assumptions and problems, the need for money, which is why Trinity still goes after rich people. Right. And those sorts of things. I'm not saying the Trinity couldn't do better, because they could, but I'm just saying that a lot of the um, a lot of the issues have to do with class, have to do with the racism of individuals, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and so Trinity, I think, is honestly trying to improve things, but some things need more money than Trinity has, Right. I think. Yeah, I'm just curious on, like, personally, like, how do you think, like, the social structures of Trinity could be changed? Like, where do we go now? I actually just had this conversation in my class yesterday, and I will preface it by saying I am a faculty member, okay? Mm -hmm. I know that most students don't agree with me, but every year since before I came here, so sometime in the 1980s, well, I should start, sometime in the 1980s, there was a, there was either a gang rape or multiple rapes in a fraternity, and the faculty voted as close to unanimously as a faculty could vote to abolish the fraternity, to call the trustees to, to abolish the fraternities. Right. And the trustees said, no. Every single year for about 20 years since then, the faculty has passed a resolution saying, we want to get rid of the fraternities. And I'll tell you why in a second, but um, it, had, it has to do with this question. It's, it's, um, I'll explain why. But um, we even had a committee called the faculty committee on fraternities and sororities whose sole mission it was to, to convince the trustees to get rid of um, fraternities and very long truly very long story short um, the trustees pretended to consider it three times and did nothing in the end and so here we are okay so why why is am i bringing that up 
because at Trinity, again, I'm not a student, but my perception is that that is the social life. Mm-hmm. And as long as the social life is, con- is controlled by wealthy, generally white people with privilege, it's going to be a skewed social system. When Greenberg was discussing this racial tension on Trinity's campus, particularly in Greek life, I became curious and decided to do a little research. I found in the Trinity College in the 20th century a history book that, quote, while the tripod concurred in President Funston's insistence that there was no discrimination in admission, an editorial of March 15, 1950, admitted that most of the fraternity chapters at Trinity had national charter provisions limiting membership to Christians of the Caucasian race. I thought this quote was very interesting and very relevant to Greenberg's word because we see how much racial discrimination goes on on Trinity's campus and and in the Trinity culture and within the very social structures of Trinity. Not only do you have to pay dues, so that excludes anybody who doesn't have any money, there's a selection process. So it's like, vote for your friends, and people tend to replicate who they are. I'm not saying there's no members of black, uh, there's no black members of fraternities or anything like that, but at a place like Trinity, it seems to me we have rules in place that no organization can discriminate on the basis of race or sex or anything else or religion, whatever. And the only... The only cases that are excluded from that are places where talent matters. You get to exclude people who can't sing from a cappella groups, for example. Right. Um, but the only group that can, distri- can, dis- can discriminate without anything, um, without having to prove uh, quality is fraternities. They get to say, we like you, we don't like you. You're in, you're out, you can come into the party, you can't come into the party, whatever. And so as long as the social life is controlled by those folks, it's going to be much harder to have a genuine social life. And so Emoja does its best, and Hillel does its best, and the Mill does its best, and the Fred does its best. But the fact is, those are small, isolated groups that then end up perpetuating the divide because one group's go one where one place, the other group's going the other place, and nothing else is going to emerge until the, the fraternities leave because only once you have a void are other people going to step up to the plate. So that's been the faculty's argument all along, and so I really I think that that is one of the two problems um, that Trinity social life has to struggle with. Yeah, um, and I think the other you know, fraternities or no fraternities is money, right? There's a very, there's a culture here, I don't need to tell you, right, that's very privileged and, you know, who's, who go out to dinner in West Hartford Center and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's, that's who says what's cool. I don't have to say that politely. But once they're set, as long as they're setting the social standard, how's anybody else going to feel comfortable? And how's anybody else going to feel like they have ownership in, in any of this? So, I mean, to me, that's that's the challenge. And again, as a faculty member, I think no one has stepped up to the plate to resolve that problem. Through my conversations with Professor Greenberg, I learned that she has been and is still a passionate activist. From the perspective of a current Trinity student, it is really interesting to see 
a professor's standpoint on the culture of Trinity and the evolution of the culture of Trinity. Our discussion was one that was very insightful, and I was glad I got such a unique perspective on activism at Trinity over the years.